You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. All right, we knew it was coming. The Bank of Canada raised its benchmark interest rate three quarters of a percentage uh, of a percentage point today, uh, signaling that uh, the key rate will need to rise further uh, to tackle high levels of inflation, which we're all experiencing. The new uh, the new rate is 3.25 percent. It marks the fifth rate hike so far in 2022. Uh, Canada's key interest rate sat at just 0.25 percent. Uh, back in January. Hard to believe. Let's bring in Moshe Lander, senior economist, lecturer at Concordia University, and with us now. Moshe, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, this was expected. So any surprises for you here? What about the rate at which it went up? Well, I will admit that I had it wrong. I was expecting 50 basis points. Uh, we had been hearing 50 or 75, kind of a coin flip, but uh, 75 went out. And so maybe an indicator then that the Bank of Canada is uh, maybe not just a little worried about uh, the inflation rate, but maybe also a signal uh, that they really do mean business in bringing it down. And so maybe it's a signal then to, to Canadians that they're really on top of this. Uh, are they facing some credibility issues? Some say this should have been done sooner. That's why we're getting so many rate increases in a row now. They are facing credibility issues. Um, that's coming from certain corners of the political spectrum and certain candidates running for leadership of certain parties or maybe pointing the finger at the, the Bank of Canada. But I, I don't know that that's necessarily merited. Uh, the Bank of Canada was uh, slow to increase interest rates because when they started in February, not all of the provinces had lifted their COVID restrictions. And so to start trying to slow down the economy, take some of the wind out of uh, that pent-up demand, was maybe a little bit premature. Some provinces might have had those restrictions lifted early, but there were still some very uh, slow ones to, to remove those last restrictions. So I think they kind of waited till there was the all clear, and then they've moved very aggressively to, to try and make up for that waiting. So they hinted today that there will be others. How significant is that? Uh, I, I think that even though I had it wrong, I think most economists were probably in agreement that there was at least another full percentage point to come somewhere down the line. So if we saw 75 basis points today, that just means there's at least another 25 basis points, which means there's got to be at least one more rate hike before the year is out. Uh, even in my calculation of 50 basis points, I figured that they would have just increased it 25 basis points at each of the next two meetings. So I, I, I can tell you for sure they're not done yet. Uh, we'll see what the inflation number is next week. And then if it's moving at least in the right direction, then that might give uh, an indication of the severity of those increases. Uh, but there's no question that more are coming. Uh, are we going to see this level off? Is there a sweet spot we're looking for? Yeah, you know, the, the interesting thing is, um, you know, the way that you framed the, the discussion here was you said that back in January it was 0.25%, and now it's 3.25%, and that is factually correct. But I think that one of the things that Canadians should look at is, what were interest rates three years ago, five years ago? Uh, you're going to find that interest rates right now are not much that different from where they were three, five years ago. And so the fact is that what we're really seeing is a return to normal. And so, uh, you know, are we going to see interest rates go up to 7, 8, 10%? I don't think it needs to go that high. Uh, but we are going to see that interest rates are going to go back to the way that it was, where you know, the idea of a mortgage of 5% to 7% is not going to be uh, unusual. What we saw over the last couple of years was the unusual thing. Uh, and that's now just being removed from the books because, at least from an economic standpoint, it seems that we're done with COVID.
Um, the um, Prime Minister uh, been accused in the past of not listening, wasn't paying attention to affordability issues, whether it's the high cost of housing, inflation, groceries, energy, what have you. Uh, that being said, meeting with Cabinet, his Cabinet, uh, in Vancouver this week, and they've announced that affordability is going to be something that they're focusing on. Do you see a change of strategy here? I see it as politics. Uh, rearing its head uh, and not really helping the economic story any. Housing affordability is not fixable by the federal government. There's really not much that they can do about it. And so to pretend that they can do something is maybe giving Canadians a false sense of security. The biggest problem with housing affordability is at the municipal level. Housing prices have exploded in Hamilton because any homeowner in Hamilton is going to turn towards city council and say, stop housing development. It's my biggest asset. It's my most important thing outside of maybe my pension. And so if you allow, you know, Hamilton to sprawl every which direction, you're going to ruin the the equity within my home. So it's this lobbying effort that's done by homeowners uh, to try and prevent non-homeowners from getting into the marketplace. The problem is that non-homeowners are not uh, active enough to create some sort of effective lobby to change the opinion of politicians. So I, I just don't see that this is really going to solve the problem. Uh, do you really think equity in your home is, is that big a factor here? Because even no matter what the economy is doing, uh, home ownership still seems to be a strong investment. So if they build an apartment building in the vacant lot across from me, I don't know if it's going to affect the price of my home uh, very often. This is nimbyism within city councils and environmentalists against urban sprawl on the other side, on the outskirts. Um, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, uh, it seems that we've shot ourselves in the foot by simply not building for the last 5, 10, 20 years. But, but why hasn't building happened then, right? So one of the reasons, I mean, the, the logic would be that if you can build a home for a couple hundred thousand dollars, but you can instantaneously put it into the marketplace at half a million dollars, why would we not see profit-maximizing home builders falling all over themselves to build. It's, it's got to Because be there's too many regulations and too many things in place that are stopping that from happening. That's the issue at the municipal level. That's why they're talking about giving mayors more power. And that's exactly it. So it's these zoning laws. And so these zoning laws have to be supported by somebody. So who's supporting the zoning laws that are making it uh, prohibitive to be able to build? It, it's got to be existing homeowners. It can't be non-homeowners that are saying make these laws very restrictive. So no, it's it's I, nimbyism. But again, I mean, many ex- experts have been on the show, and infill is not the answer to Canada's housing strategy. It's part of the solution, but it's not the answer. I mean, you know, uh, there's only so much infill you can do. Correct. But throwing money is not going to fix that problem, right? So if the government comes up with a plan to spend, I, I think they announced $200 million, it's still not going to change the basic fact that people... No can't afford a home because they can't afford the down payment, right? Even if mortgage rates are affordable, even if you can get a fixed rate that's decent, even if your income can support that mortgage payment, in Canada, you need 25 to 30% of the purchase price of the home, and people don't have enough capacity to be able to afford that. So, you know, the, the government's promise of $200 million, even if that were to support 20,000 Canadian households, that's barely a, a, a trickle for a down payment. They're still not going to be able to do anything about it. No, it's low supply and high demand. I mean, that's where we are. What about energy? Is there anything they can do with energy? 
No, um, not at least in the short term, right? So we've seen a whole bunch of provinces. Is there a business case for, let me ask you this, Moshe, because we're almost out of time. Is there a business case for liquid natural gas in Canada? No. Um, no. Really? It, no. It, it's um, You're still going to have to rely on the same uh, producers of natural gas now, and you're just going to have to add to the story of liquefying it and then regasifying it and creating the entire infrastructure to be able to transport it. You can't just use the same old pipelines that you're using for oil. So you're talking about the development of an entire infrastructure. By the time that comes around in five years, ten years' time, guess what? We'll have moved on to some other form. I mean, with the way that the planet is warming up, we might even be a major solar developer at some point in the foreseeable future. So uh, I I don't see that as being the the solution in the short term or in the long term. Even though the majority of us still heat our homes with all of this. No, um, it's we'll, we'll have advanced beyond that technology by the time that that technology is viable for the majority of Canadians. So, so what would that be, five, five, ten years? Because, you know, Moshe, I'm old enough to remember this 30 years ago, and we're all still waiting. <laughs> but that's, that's what we're always doing. We're always waiting for the next thing. But again, it's one of those things that rather than throwing good money after bad, why not just liberalize these markets? and let profit maximizers find their way in with what that sort of form of energy might be to help Canadians. Uh, If we keep trying to steer the market in a particular direction, uh, it's inevitably going to be one of those things that we're we're still waiting for liquefied natural gas or we're still waiting for unconventional oil. Uh, It it was the Americans stumbled across their unconventional sources once the, the hand of government got out of the way. Moshe Lander with a senior economics lecturer at Concordia University. Moshe, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Anytime. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.